3 Z. 92.3 FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Shalom, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Our regular listeners will recall that last week we played a Mama Cash song from 1970. There's a new world coming, and a beautiful song it is. I made the comment that it's still coming, and I don't like what I see. Well, the chest-pounding, bellicose Russian dictator Putin has well and truly confirmed my comment. With his goings-on in Ukraine and the feckless NATO not knowing how to respond. Sanctions, yeah, right. If it wasn't for Putin's good relationship with Israel, I would be putting pins in a Putin voodoo doll. By the way, has anyone looked at Putin lately? Something has changed about him, something strange. I can't put my finger on it. Anyway, move on, Morris. Have we got a Lachaim ahead of us? I can't wait to hear Morris' interview with David Hirsch in South Africa about the anti-Semite Desmond Tutu. Jif, the Jewish International Film Festival, kicks off next week for a month. And joining us tonight is Jif Artistic Director Eddie Tamir with what promises to be another excellent Jif, connecting us with our Jewish faith, history, culture, Israel, and much, much more. Exploring Israel with Effie is back, along with the report on the groups he's been guiding. The ZFA's Haleli Kimchi is joining us with Kaveret Hotzeret, live Israeli music next week, and Justin Amler with another great piece. All right, you're tuned into Lachaim, Two Life, Jewish Life and More, here on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. On with the show, this is it. Take it away, Murray. I'm very glad to welcome back to the Lachaim program, David Hirsch, who was with us last year. David's profile is too extensive to fully cover here, but some of his major achievements since the early 2000s include setting up and chairing the Jewish Media Network, the first Jewish media response in South Africa, becoming the National Vice Chairman of the South African Zionist Federation in 2006. And the Federation was indirectly placed in the spotlight in relation to Archbishop Desmond Tutu's anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, a matter we will be discussing. In 2011, he established and chaired SAPAC, the South African-Israel Public Affairs Committee, an organisation completely independent of other Jewish communal bodies. David lives in Cape Town and is kindly joining us from there. David, welcome back to Lachaim. I'm happy to be with you. Thank you. At the end of 2010, you launched a petition against Tutu remaining as a patron of the Holocaust centres in Cape Town and Johannesburg. What prompted you to draw up this petition? Tutu, quite simply, was a great anti-Semite. He might have played a great role in fighting apartheid, and that is, of course, what made his name, but he was anti-Semitic with all his statements. 
I wrote this petition and we got a little bit of publicity in the local papers, but then his sycophants and followers and all the people who supported him wrote a counter petition and in so doing did me a great favor because in the end it gave worldwide publicity to this petition. Tutu was a patron of the Holocaust Museum and it was inappropriate for such an anti-Semite to be in that position. So I oppose that. Subsequent to that, I also met uh, Alan Dershowitz. He was in Johannesburg where I met him and I gave him the petition and then he wrote up using my petition and referred to prominent South Africans and I'm happy to say that I am the prominent South African. Sounds very nice. He used it and he used it recently on the passing of Desmond Tutu and it has got worldwide exposure and it has given the correct image of Desmond Tutu. I'll give you an example of some of the things that he said. One of the, the most egregious things that he said, that the Holocaust made for a far neater death than removals during apartheid. Mm. My response is and was that my paternal grandmother and family would far have preferred to be removed than to be murdered by the Nazis. I, I, I get emotional even saying and thinking about it right now. Yes. And then he went on, as you know, to say many other nasty things. The things that he said, if he wasn't the Nobel Prize winner, would have landed him in the dustbin of history. Let me give you some of the things that he said. I have them here. For instance, he compared Israel to Hitler, Stalin, and apartheid. It was unacceptable. He thought he was God's representative on earth. He really did. He was an egotistical man who had greatness thrust upon him. Because what had actually happened is that he was at the right place at the right time, and church movements understood that the nationalist apartheid government would not act in any way against a high official in the church. So he got promoted and eventually became the Archbishop of Cape Town. And through this, he did fight. Let's give him credit. He did fight apartheid. That was his greatness. He became a TV star. He was interviewed everywhere. And he became an untouchable. Then he thought he could speak on behalf of God, where he said God sides with the Palestinians. And he condemned Israel before he even got to Israel. He referred to Jews as being arrogant, and uh, we were very powerful in the lobbying area. He accused the Jews of having a monopoly on the Holocaust. He stood at Yad Vashem asking and telling the victims, the very people who had survived the Holocaust, to forgive the Nazis. But he himself wasn't prepared in any way to forgive the Jews if we needed forgiving. Mm -hmm. He gave a, an absurd disavowal on his anti-Semitism. And at one stage, uh, when accused of it, he said, if I'm accused of being anti-Semitic, tough luck. In response to questions about his anti-Jewish bias, Tutu replied, my dentist's name is Dr. Cohen. Ironically, I know Dr. Cohen, or I knew him, and his mother-in-law lived next door to my parents. Tutu said Jews think they have a monopoly on God. He refused to use the word Israel and kept on using Palestine. And so I was very much against him. I met him on a number of occasions, and I uh, had all sorts of adventures and misadventures with him. And a friend of mine who was the archdeacon of the Anglican Cathedral here fell foul of uh, Tutu because he had objected to the pedophilia that was taking place in the church. And uh, Tutu's arrogant response to him was, I quote, we will deal with the matter pastorially, which meant in fine English that we'll do absolutely nothing about it. He used to invite me, <laughs> I think, to irritate Tutu to... <laughs> 
and I needed to go to church, very locking up, as they say. And uh, he, he, <laughs> he, uh, he invited me to uh, the early morning uh, service because Tutu would be there on a number of occasions. And when I arrived one day, I was a teeny weeny bit late. The only seat that was left in this U-shaped seating was punk next to Tutu. And when he saw me and he stood up, I could see he was very much aware of me. It wasn't a place to say or do anything. Anyway, we all got invited out uh, together, the group, to have breakfast across the road from the cathedral. And I sat there and thought of Psalm 23, where it says... Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And there I was. But I fought him. And when he passed away, he was very aware of his image and was always manipulating it. And so he had arranged how he would be buried. And there's a little bit of irony in it all because he was a humble man. Of course, we mustn't forget that. Uh, the coffin had to be plain pine coffin with rope handles. I might tell you that that happens to be a Jewish coffin, yes, which is yes. quite funny. Anyway, then he wanted to be uh, cremated. But being the great environmentalist that he was, he went now for the new thing. Cremation, we thought, well, you know, you get burnt and that's the end of the story. No, there's this new process called aquamation. <laughs> so what do they do? And I'm going to quote from the actual description. They, they put the body in a container with very strong alkaline liquid under pressure and 150 degrees of heat. It dissolves all the soft tissue, the flesh and everything. Mm-hmm. And here's the quote from the article. All of that gets flushed down the municipal sewer. So I thought, how appropriate that he got flushed down the loo. Then uh, the bones are taken, they're quite brittle, and they get crushed up and put into a little box. And they had a ceremony that in front of the altar in the uh, cathedral, they dug a hole, removed a tile, written on it, uh, his pedigree, and put him in there. And it now occurs to me that every time somebody goes up to take communion, uh, they'll be walking over Tutu. Uh, But there's something finally I must tell you about him. Mm. On the side, on the sunrise side of the large building we have in Cape Town, which is called the Municipal uh, Civic Centre, they have two large portraits painted on the windows, one of Mandela and one of uh, Desmond Tutu. And what is happening to those portraits is exactly what's already happened, is going to happen to Desmond Tutu. They are fading every day from the sunlight and as time goes by. And so in the end, this man will fade away. And uh, that's what's happened to him. You mentioned the media coverage, but what was the outcome of your petition? I think that the Balabatim of the Holocaust Museum, they went creeping on their stomachs to apologize to uh, Tutu. The Holocaust Museum, one of the things that it tries to do is, of course, education and to have the schools come. They were very sycophantic in the appointment of him. And the idea was to get uh, all sorts of schools, black and white, which they have succeeded in doing, to come on regular visits to Holocaust Museum. So I understand that, and I have to be reasonable. But I didn't like what they did at all. Mm. I had to accept it. But uh, when he died, my first comment was that Tutu has finally resigned from the Holocaust Center. All right. 
David, we will definitely have you back in a couple of weeks to tell us about SAPAC and the future of South African Jewelry. David Hirsch, Chairperson of the South African Israel Public Affairs Committee, thank you for providing us with an analysis of Desmond Tutu from a first-person perspective. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy being with you. Well, well, well. I always knew that Tootsie Tutu was a headline-grabbing, self-aggrandizing anti-Semite. Yes, his work towards eradicating the true apartheid in South Africa was very, very important work. It still doesn't negate the fact that Tutu was anti-Semitic dreck. David Hirsch will be back with Maury in a couple of weeks to talk about the concerns of Jewish life in South Africa. This will be following an interview next week with Barry Shaw with his concerns about British Jewry. And wait, there's more. We will be having an interview in a few weeks' time with Michelle Lubin Terrace in Florida about the state of affairs of American Jewry and an organisation called Jexit. Well done again, Maury. Love the interview. I'm Ernie Singer, and this is your daily newscast from Israel News Talk Radio. Security forces reported on Tuesday that they arrested four residents of the Judean-Palestinian Authority village of Idma without permission to be outside the PA Monday evening after they caught them stealing ammunition and other military equipment from a military firing range in the south. They say the suspects used a stolen motor scooter to commit the crime. The Jewish press reports an Arab woman and four children were seen on security cameras late Monday afternoon working hard to rip out trees that were planted last week in a new park that is under development outside the fence surrounding the Dagan neighborhood in the Judean Jewish community of Efrat. They succeeded in tearing out eight saplings. A spokesperson for the Dagan Slopes Project told the Jewish press, on the security footage, you can see them ripping out the trees. You can see where they went and even in which house they entered. So when the soldiers came, they actually went down to the house and knocked on the door. Obviously, no one answered. Israel National News reported on Tuesday that a district court judge has released a 16-year-old who was the last of about 20 detainees from a Jewish convoy arrested last week for attacking residents of the Sumerian PA town of Huara after the convoy was attacked several weeks ago. The judge also shortened the house arrests of other youths until next Thursday. The Jewish press reports that on Monday, the Jerusalem Magistrates Court ordered the release of the 16 other detainees. Attorney Nati Rome of the Honina Legal Aid Organization pointed out that police representatives admitted in court that the complaints of the suspects who were attacked were not investigated at all. Arutsheva reports Honina's Adi Kedar has attacked an exceptional order preventing a young man who was arrested Monday in Samaria by the Shabak Israel Security Agency from meeting with an attorney. Hezbollah sources claim to Lebanese newspaper Al-Akbar on Tuesday that the terror group's reconnaissance drone made it to the Sea of Galilee last Friday without being shot down, reducing some of Hezbollah's initial claims. The Times of Israel notes holes in the source's story about Israel detecting the pilotless aircraft, but says it believes the Hassan model was too small to be correctly identified by the Iron Dome anti-missile systems radar. A top Israeli official speaking on condition of anonymity Warned during Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's recent visit to Bahrain, the UAV attacks were likely to increase. On Monday, the United States Navy's Mideast-based Fifth Fleet announced the launch of a new joint fleet of unmanned sailing and underwater vessels with allied nations, including Israel, to patrol vast swaths of the region's volatile waters as tensions simmer with Iran. Health Ministry Director General Nachman Ash told the Knesset Health Committee on Tuesday that the Omicron variant wave of the coronavirus was not over, despite the drop in the number of new and serious cases, saying they were higher than any other wave. He said the health system did not collapse as feared. 
Minister Without Portfolio Eli Avidar announced his resignation from the government and the Israel Betino Party and his return to the Knesset on Tuesday, telling a news conference, government policy has made me stay in government unbearable. He has criticized COVID restrictions and what he described as excessive force in dispersing nonviolent protests against the Green Pass vaccine passport, including the recent eviction of anti-restriction protesters outside the Knesset. This has been Ernie Singer at Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more straight talk from Israel at israelnewstalkradio.com. Hey, ye, hey, ye, it's back. After being COVID cancelled last year, Jeff, the Jewish International Film Festival 2022 is happening next week in all of March and into early April. Joining us again tonight on L'Chaim is Jeff Artistic Director Eddie Tamir, Eddie, welcome back to Lachaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Uh, good evening, Morris, and good evening to all your listeners. And thanks for having me on. And uh, let's talk movies. Absolutely. Eddie, you were with us last year in October when GIF um, 2021 had to be cancelled rather last minute, thanks to the cholera Chinese COVID, and also previously being cancelled in 2020. We are definitely heading off to the classic and Lido cinemas and theatres throughout the country in Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, Gold Coast and Perth next week to finally see your excellent GIF movies hit the big screens again. Please, Eddie, what are we in for? What's the scene for GIF 2022? Well, we've got, you know, a really big show, as Ed Sullivan says, really big. 55 films from 20 countries, features, docs and TV series. You know, people have asked me, oh, there can't be any new films because they didn't make any during uh, COVID. But that's actually not true. Films kept being made. Even in Victoria, people uh, see it as very important to keep making movies. And uh, we've got plenty and uh, very proud of our selection. Good stuff. Eddie, GIF 2022, as you said, it's uh, got 31 feature films, 25 documentaries and six short films from over 20 countries. Plus, there's lots of live entertainment. We'll come back to that uh, later. Unfortunately, we only have time to cover a handful of movies. And I really encourage everyone to get a hold of the GIF program booklet, which is available at the Classic and Lido Cinemas and many, many retail outlets around the Chulam Belt and further out. It's a great informative read. So, uh, Eddie, let's start with opening night. Simone Vail, a woman of the century. Yep. So Simone Vale, what a colossal person she was. She's definitely in the European zeitgeist. I'm not sure if uh, many of your listeners are familiar with her, but I guess it's the equivalent of the RBG or the late great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The RBG, obviously American. Simone Vale is French, was French. She passed away recently. She survived Auschwitz, became a lawyer in France, a human rights advocate, a member of the French Parliament, where she was instrumental in changing abortion law. And then she went on to become the uh, president of the European Union. So a colossal character and really sets off, I guess, the big thematics, I suppose, of this year's festival. Characters and, you know, Jewish people who create change in society. People who sit in the status quo but look to, to make positive change in the world. Dynamic stuff. And that's also scheduled for many screenings. A movie that will no doubt harness a huge audience. Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song. Yep. So since his passing, a lot of interest in Leonard Cohen, as happens when people pass away. And this is a film focused on his song, Hallelujah. He started off pretty much as a, you know, a humble bohemian poet playing a bit of guitar not singing very well, according to many people. And he wrote Hallelujah over many, many years, in fact. 
And when it first came out, it was ignored. American record companies didn't really warm to the album it was on and the song itself. And then over the last few decades, it's exploded. And Hallelujah has been covered by many major artists in the world and is not only just a niche song for people looking to the, you know, the pain of love, but it's exploded into being a, a universal hymn across all cultures, across all religions, and it unifies society, and it, this film tracks that story. As you said, and it was a song that was uh, initially rejected by the record labels and now uh, an iconic anthem. I recall that uh, Leonard Cohen went to entertain the troops in Israel during the October War. Great stuff. Eddie, from what I read, this sounds like an absolute stunner. South African Holocaust survivor Ella Blumenthal. I am yeah. here. I am here. And uh, I'm sure a lot of your um, expat South African listeners would be aware of her. She's clearly uh, a big character. She's inspiring. She's 100 years old. She is a Holocaust survivor, and she still lives in the most positive way and tries to create positivity in everyone she meets and educates. I think I've seen it all before. You probably think you've seen, you know, every story before, and I haven't and you haven't. And there's always something to be taken out of. And this film is, is really surprising and well done. Wonderful. Now, Eddie, there are lots of bridge players out there. And <laughs> this sounds like a beauty. Dirty tricks. So are you a card player? No, I gave up playing cards over 30 years ago. Oh, okay. So you, so you won all your money 30 years ago and you stopped playing? Not quite. I left deposits everywhere. Right, okay, gotcha. I'm not a big card player and definitely not a bridge player, but this film is for bridge players and it's for people who don't play bridge. It's an amazing film, entertaining, thrilling, in fact. It takes us into the world championship world of bridge, so the highest level. And amazingly, and I didn't know this, but a couple of Israeli guys became the world champion bridge players in recent years. Quite a colourful duo and uh, that's probably enough of a story in itself. But then the film goes deeper and it explores the possibility of cheating in bridge at the lowest level and at the highest level. And there's lots of accusations that fly all over the place and it takes us into this very controversial place and it plays a bit like a thriller in an entertaining way. And I'm told that uh, many of our uh, senior bridge players uh, have forgotten how to count properly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, right. cheating. no cheating, I hope. Yeah. Always the Holocaust theme, Eddie. Um, this is scheduled for lots of screenings. The conference uh, made in Germany. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, you know, there is such a thing as a Holocaust genre of film, which is tragic. And I guess all the filmmakers that keep making films with a Holocaust perspective are doing that because they feel it's important. They feel that it resonates. They feel that there's a way that these films can make the world a more positive place uh, based on history. So 80 years ago, the Vonsi conference happened in a chateau in Vonsi. And uh, this is a feature film recreating the Vonsi conference. And it is, it is a high quality production. And it really deals with the mundanity of evil, as Hannah Arendt put it, witnessed the Eichmann trial. You know, these bunch of guys who are drinking expensive wine and eating amazing food and meet to discuss how to kill all the Jews of Europe. And it actually follows, apparently, the actual words that were spoken, and, and it's actually set in Vonsi. 
the final solution. Eddie, we're following on from that with uh, what Putin has uh, imminently planned for Ukraine. Uh, sounds like precipitating the slaughtering of untold thousands sitting ducks over there. The documentary Babi Yar is again somewhat prophetic. Yep. So, so this is a particularly high quality documentary. You know, it deals with the massacre of 33,000 Jews and it also deals with the cover up. The, the cover up, I guess, by the, obviously the Nazi perpetrators as well as the, uh, as the Ukrainian population who were also instrumental in the massacre. And that theme um, is a big theme, I guess, on the front pages today of, of many European countries who say, oh, the Nazis did all this and the local populations were not complicit. As time goes on, you know, obviously we discover more and more that that was not the case. Yeah, definitely, we know they were. All right, another Israeli movie, Cinema Sabaya, uh, with women coming together. Yep, so Cinema Sabaya um, actually won the Jerusalem Film Festival, uh, Best Film Award uh, and Best Debut Feature Award, and it's actually produced by Gal Greenspan, who uh, is actually living in, in Melbourne now with his Australian wife and his newborn child, and hopefully he'll be around the festival to uh, discuss uh, his film. He's very proud of this one started off as a, as a documentary idea, but it is a feature film dealing with Arab women and Jewish Israeli women and about their attempts to tell their stories to each other and make films about their lives and share their perspectives and try to move the world to a bit of a better place. Hope so. And um, sticking on the theme of women, another French movie, uh, Sounds of Stunner, A Rating Girls, also scheduled for many screenings. Yeah, so this is a... This is a, a feature film that premiered in Cannes last year and it focuses on a 19-year-old French Jewish woman during the war and she just wants to be a normal 19-year-old, wants to be an actress, goes to acting school, wants to fall in love, wants to live her life and obviously the tragedy is unfolding and she tries to live in the most positive, optimistic way that she can despite what's going on around her. So the freshness of her personality gives this film a real uniqueness and, and a very powerful, moving quality to it. I should mention, uh, I think I may have mentioned, just want to remind the listeners that your GIF films are coming from 20 countries around the world. And a couple of comedies, Billy Crystal uh, here today. And Greener Pastures, which I was lucky enough to see at the program launch last month. Very, very Israel funny. So here today, uh, yeah, Billy Crystal not only acts, uh, he actually directed this, which he hasn't done for a long time. Stars with Tiffany Haddish. He's playing a role that he's very familiar with as a, an ageing comedy writer for TV, and he's actually losing his memory somewhat, but he feels like he's got one more great show in him. Comes across Tiffany Haddish, and they help each other with you know, the, the challenges in their life. And it's moving and it's funny and uh, very accessible. Uh, as is Greener Pastures, one of the box office hits in Israel in the last 12 months. Uh, set in a retirement village, a very reluctant guy goes to the retirement village. His children have convinced him to sell his house, move into this luxurious retirement home. He's not happy, but everyone else in the retirement home is. And then he discovers... The reason why they're so happy is they're all been prescribed medical marijuana and he then tweaks on an idea to maybe form a cooperative, sell this marijuana on the street to try to raise some money to get his house back. Entrepreneurial stuff, uh, Israeli <laughs> entrepreneurship. It's a funny movie. And it's um, scheduled for a screening uh, 
on the rooftop, which should add a dimension to it. Yep, yep. Even though you're allowed to smoke on the roof, no joints. <laughs> okay. It's interesting, smoking on the roof. I wasn't aware of that. Eddie, 20 documentaries, three of them feature Israeli prime ministers. I Am Not a Jew with Trembling Knees, Menachem Begin, the movie Upheaval, Yitzhak Shamir, War, Peace and a Dream, and What If, Ehud Barak on War and Peace. So you join a number of other movies that you've presented about Israeli prime ministers. I would say that's probably the hardest job on earth to be the Prime Minister of Israel, unless you think maybe being a, a radio announcer on Lachaim is pretty good at <laughs> as well. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, in my book, uh, got to be one of the toughest gigs in the world. So it's fascinating to see the characters, see how they've gone about it, to see how they try to do the hardest job in the world. Amazing. And it is. I agree with you. But uh, program presenter on radio... I'm still a work in progress. And besides, they got paid. I get bupkis as a volunteer presenter. <laughs> yes, I agree with you, Eddie. It would be the hardest, toughest job in the world. And besides, they have to be Prime Minister of millions of Prime Ministers. <laughs> Eddie, two Australian movies. Yep. So uh, exciting to be, uh, you know, premiering Australian films. We're premiering a feature film called Mother Mountain. Is a personal story from a first-time director, Selena Stange. And uh, it's about a, a young Jewish woman who goes to regional Australia to just deal with some uh, personal issues. And she comes across an Indigenous Australian community and a particular mountain uh, in the landscape where she lives. And she connects to that culture and finds some kind of healing in there and a cultural exchange that works in a very interesting way between the Jewish sensibility and the Indigenous Australian sensibility, and it's a high-quality uh, personal drama. The other one um, is a Narrow Bridge, directed by a first-time Melbourne director, Esther Takach. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist. She spent a lot of time in Israel, and it's a film focusing on a Palestinian man and an Israeli Jewish man who both lost children in the Mideast conflict, and they try as best they can to deal with that tragic situation personally, try to forgive, try to heal themselves, each other, and I guess the wider world. Sounds good. And there are also six short movies. We don't have time to cover those. People have to get the booklet to uh, check them out. Eddie, I mentioned early on there is going to be lots of GIF Live entertainment as well. This is an interesting move for us. I mean, we've, we've done a little bit in the past, but this, this year we feel especially... Post-COVID, we want to support live you know, Jewish performers and uh, we think there's a real demand for that and we've got a high-quality lineup of uh, four stand-up comedians and their separate shows. We've got four music gigs. We have a live performed script reading of a brand-new feature film in development called The Wolf of Rostov. And, uh, yes, yeah, so a very exciting lineup of live entertainment as well, I guess, which takes us into a bit of a Jewish performing arts festival alongside the, the film festival. Compliments of terrific stuff. Okay, Eddie, that's uh, uh, all we have time for. Tickets are on sale for all the GIF movies at www.gif.com.au. And uh, as I mentioned, GIF will be screening nationwide, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, Gold Coast and Perth. All the dates are available on the back of the GIF program booklet. And if people can't get to the movies, Eddie, they should check out um, Flix, your exclusive uh, streaming service of Jewish and Israeli content. Yep. So um, we definitely want to see people in the flesh 
celebrating together at the film festival. Yep. But, uh, you know, when you have a bit of downtime, absolutely, go to Chaiflix. Yep. And uh, it is uh, the Jewish Netflix, and we, uh, we're in partners with some, uh, you know, American people. Uh, and so it's available in America, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And uh, we've got some hit TV shows actually premiering there, including uh, The New Black and uh, the supermarket uh, hit series, the Israeli one called Checkout, and their exclusive to Highflix. Snapped it up before Netflix could get their fingers on it. So uh, definitely come to Highflix and uh, enjoy yourself. www.highflix.com. That is www.chaiflix.com. Com. Chief Artistic Director Eddie Tamir, many thanks for joining us again on Lachaim. Eddie, um, Jeff will be screening uh, at your Ritz Cinemas in Randwick? Absolutely, the uh, newly renovated uh, Ritz Cinemas in Randwick, uh, as well as uh, on the North Shore in Roseville, at the Roseville Cinemas in Sydney. Great, thanks for joining us, Eddie. Uh, let's go out with Fred Astaire putting on the Ritz. See you at the movies, see you at the Jeff movies. See you at the movies, thank you. Have you seen the well-to-do Up and down Park Avenue On that famous thoroughfare With their noses in the air High hats and arrow collars White spats and lots of dollars Spending every dime For a wonderful time Now if you're blue and you don't know where to go to Why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the Ritz Different types who wear a day coat Pants with stripes and cutaway coat Perfect fits Putting on the Ritz Dressed up like a million dollar trooper Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper Super duper, come let's mix Where Rockefellers walk with sticks Or umbrellas in their mitts Putting on the Ritz his hat just like an English chappy to a lady with a wealthy pappy very snappy you'll declare it's simply topping to be there and hear them swapping smart tidbits put on the Ritz by the way I quoted Menachem Begin during the interview with Eddie Tamir, I am not a Jew with trembling knees, which was directed at that pathetic imbecile in the White House, Biden, when he was a pathetic senator in 1982, threatening Begin with the withdrawal of aid. It is reported that Biden has not gotten a foreign policy right in 40 years. Well, well, nothing's changed during his time in the White House. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, 
with your host, Morris Klein. On 92.3 FM, 3 Z. Explore Israel with Effie. Masada, Caesarea, Jerusalem. For many, these places are no more than the name of a city or national park. However, for others, these places are far more than just names of a place on a map. These sites are some of the many hidden gems which exemplify and are an integral part of our Jewish history, heritage and culture. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Tread on the land where ancient mighty empires once existed and ruled and walk in the footsteps of the biblical figures from the Old and New Testament in order to hear, feel, touch and taste this magical land of Eretz Israel. Explore Israel with Effie for an unforgettable experience. Effie Yacobi, shalom, shalom. Welcome back, mate. Shalom, shalom, chavarim. Hi, Erev Tov to you and the listeners from Effie here in Eretz Israel. Effie, uh, we missed you last week. You've been busy doing what you do best, guiding lots of groups. Israel's opening up next week to the world again. Wonderful. Take us through uh, what the feeling was with all these groups. Well, it really uh, has come uh, after a long hiatus where (laughs) nothing was in the offing and all of a sudden the skies have begun to open up and they showed you the photos from Bendion Airport and everything that was red. The arrival and departures are now all in green, which is the best indication that things are moving, and and that's phenomenal. And that really is a boost for a long-awaited response, in my case, to the industry known as the incoming and internal tourism industry, and that's fantastic, really, absolutely stunning, and bookings have come, you know, streaming in, and I hear from my network of uh, friends in the guiding apps um, that they're all on the same level, right? They're getting bookings nonstop, and I've been fortunate that even this week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, bang, 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 three groups one after the other, a group of internal tourism uh, via Sarit and Alma of high-level ranking officers who asked me to do a tour of Jerusalem, an Anglo-Saxon group the day before, and then yesterday, a family uh, through a contact in New South Wales, a couple who came out to do also Yerushalayim. So it looks like things are on the green side, and that spells well for the end of winter and coming uh, spring and summer. Terrific. Absolutely. And, and Bennett announced that uh, he's opening up to the world. Israel's opening yeah. up to the world. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's hope it does and that there's no major catastrophe on the way, uh, you know, with another wave. Enough is enough. But uh, we have to learn to live alongside this uh, pandemic and get our lives back to some sort of normalcy and allow people to go out and earn Pagnusa again you know, instead of waiting for handouts, which aren't going to come under Lieberman. So that's what there is. Terrific. Where are you taking us tonight? Right. Okay, Chavarim. So let's go explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z L'chaim. And today, something a little bit different. You don't have to go far. You're in Yerushalayim. We're going to visit the Museum of His for Islamic Art. Now, this was opened in 1974. It's devoted to the collection the preservation and exhibition of art objects and archaeological art that represent Islamic art across the ages through conquests and regime changes from the 7th to the 19th centuries. In the more than four decades of its existence, 
The museum has earned a reputation as the home of one of the most important collections of Islamic art in the world, and only one of its kind in Israel. The permanent display gives a broad view of and a deep insight into the artistic treasures of the Muslim world that extended over Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Afghanistan, and India, and west as far as Spain. These collections include thousands of rare items, including ancient pages of the Quran, items of pottery, metal, glass, luxury items such as jewelry, ornaments, and rugs, reflecting the wealth and forms and styles that characterize Islamic art. The Museum for Islamic Art in Yerushalayim was founded in the 1960s by Vera Bryce Salomons, a woman of vision, a patron of culture and art, and a sign of the massive British-Jewish aristocratic family. The superb collection is spread over six galleries at the entrance level and on the floor above it. The basement level is home to a watch and clock collection, one of the most important in the world, belonged to Vera Solomon's father, Sir David Lionel Solomon's. Now, this watch permanent display of antique European watches and clocks contains, among other things, the breakthrough pieces by master watchmaker Abraham Louis Breguer. Breguer is the horologist who most influenced the history of modern watches and is responsible for important technological innovations in the world of watches, such as the Mary Antoinette, that led to a revolution that redefined how time was measured. The collection is one of three major ones in the world and includes many items of various types, including musical pocket watches, singing bird boxes, automata, watches from the 18th century produced for the Turkish market, carriage clocks, and exquisite one-of-a-kind pieces containing watches and adorned with precious stones, a pistol, a fan, a perfume flask, a butterfly, a bracelet, and more. So, guys, this is absolutely stunning. If you're looking for doing something different, and you've been to Yerushalayim, and we've done many museums, not that they're not good, they're outstanding, but this is another one to add to your must-see bucket list of museums. It's not a Muslim museum of arts, right? It's the Museum for Islamic Art, a museum like any other, but with a phenomenal, stunning exhibition that will cater to everyone from little kids right up to wherever. So, guys, do yourselves a favor. You've got the family. You hop on the light train. You go close. You walk to the museum. You'll enjoy an hour, two hours at least. Small entrance free, but well worth it. Guys, that's all from me for this week. From Effie here in Elity Sale until once again we go and explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM 3 Triple Z. Shalom, shalom, guys. Effie, that's amazing. I've been to Israel so many times, I've never heard of this. It sounds no. like an sounds like an absolute sleeper. Next time you come, we'll go and see it together. Uh, the curator is a lovely, uh, lovely lady, a Muslim lady, Israeli citizen, right? Muslim, excellent English, and does a phenomenal one-hour tour. Absolutely stunning, wonderful lady, and a phenomenal museum. Outstanding, thanks, mate. And they say Israel's an apartheid state. Yeah, right. Catch you next yeah. week. Okay, all the best. Shalom, shalom, chaverim. Ever erev tov. Bye, erev tov lachem gamken. We're going to hit the Saxon. Bye. <laughs> See you. Bye, mate. We heard earlier with JIF Artistic Director Eddie Tamir that finally, after all the COVID headaches, trials, tribulations and cancellations over the past two years, 
that the GIF movies are finally returning to the big screens commencing next Wednesday, the 2nd of March. Well, it happens. There is something else that is finally going to happen next Wednesday and Thursday. After all the cholera COVID dragged the past two years, some live Israeli music. And joining us once again to fill us in on the Israeli gigs next week is the ZFA's irrepressible Habayat lady, Halali Kimchi. Halali. Welcome back <laughs> again to Lachaim Jewish Life and More. Hello, Maurice. I can't believe that I'm promoting this gig again. It's, it's <laughs> exactly a pity look. It's third time lucky. It's finally happening next week. Kaveret Hotzeret at the Mimo Music Hall, 88 Ackland Street. Please take us through it again. I can promise you and I promised everyone else, this is it. This is the last time I'm promoting this concert. It's going to happen. And it's going to be beautiful. It's actually, you know, it's a bit of a hilarious. We're literally two years, like it's two years into this pandemic. And let's hope that this concert is going to lead us into live and life again. So there's no better way. There's no better way than the music of Kaveret. And there's no better way than literally supporting our amazing local talents. They have been hit hard than any other industry. And there is no better way to show our, you know, support and love and appreciation to their work than showing up to this gig. Absolutely. So, Please tell us what Kaveret's all about, for those who don't know. As those of are there anyone that doesn't know? Like I'm sure everyone knows, but in case you've forgotten. All right. So Kaveret basically is the Israeli Beatles. All right. And it had all the, those, you know, the, the sing songwriters of the seventies, the legendary, like Yoni Rechter and Mary Israel and Alon Ole Archik and Danny Sanderson and Giddy Gov, et cetera. But we took our epic singing songwriters and we have Lior and Oad Rai and Simon Starr and Adam Starr and Jonathan Stogron and Scott Griffith and Johnny Floyd and uh, Itai and Matan Franco joining them on the night. So there's no better way to celebrate freedom and going back to life than coming to this concert. So please join us on Wednesday, the 2nd of March and Thursday, the 3rd of March. And as Thursday is already sold out, don't miss it because the Wednesday we still have few tickets left. I am sure you don't have anything else better to do. I'm just, I just know it because nothing better than this. Lonachon, Lonachon, I can always listen to Lachaim. Lechaim, they can, you know, they can, they can hear after. They yes. can't hear Kaveret after. All right, so, go to Google. If they do, they can go to Google Lechaim to live, listen on demand. All right, it's happening at uh, Mimo Music Hall, 88 uh, Ackland Street. You've got, brilliant. what, a, a, a dozen, two dozen tickets left for Wednesday yes, night? Yes, there's about uh, 30 tickets left for Wednesday night. So be the first ones to grab them because you're going to regret not being okay. there. Okay. And they can get the ticket to www.zionismvictoria.org.au forward slash Kaveret. And double yes. vaccination is required. Double vaccination is required. Or if you recovered from uh, COVID recently and you can prove whatever, please. Join us. It's about time. We're going to have our life together. Definitely and happen. We won't be back for this interview for a fourth time. We'll have, you back. we'll have you back sometime down through the year to tell us more about what sure. you do with the Bay at the Zionist Federation of Australia. Elaine Kimchi, have a couple of great gigs with Kaveret Hotzeret. Yes, Hotzeret. Hotzeret. Okay, that's my <laughs> Bye. All right. Bye. 
Thanks. Many international world bodies like the UN and the UNHRC and a multitude of others are fixated with the Jewish people and the Jewish land of Israel. Despite the enormous amounts of recorded history and physical evidence that exists of the thousands of years of Jewish history in Israel, they continue to ignore it, preferring to commission endless bogus studies and investigations into ethnic cleansing and apartheid and every other hateful term they can think of. Now, of course, the defenders were always denied about anti-Semitism. No, of course not. It's simply about an illegal occupation, as they like to term it. Amnesty International made this very same point last week in their farcical report labeling Israel an apartheid state, while simultaneously rejecting all allegations of anti-Semitism against them in their continuing obsessive campaign to demonize the one Jewish state on earth. On their website, it says proudly that when Human rights are denied, we won't be silent. Yet, silence has exactly been their response when they rejected a campaign against anti-Semitism in the UK, even though that anti-Semitism in the UK has reached a new record high in 2021, up 34% from 2020. This organization that lives in a world of fairy dust and unicorns has also thrown its support behind the BDS movement, whose links with terrorism continue to be exposed as illustrated by an Israeli report showing direct links between the boycott movements and Hamas and the Palestinian Front for the Liberation of Palestine, both internationally designated terrorist organizations. So Amnesty International can deny all they want, but the truth is as clear as day, for their continued obsession with Israel is absolutely motivated by the hatred of Jewish people. But do you want to know how I know this? How I can be so sure? I'll tell you. No other people on earth and throughout history are treated to the same standards as the Jewish people. They sit alone in their own unique category. France, a country that willingly gave up their Jews during Nazi occupation to certain death, is seen as more respected than Israel, a country in which more rights exist for Arab, Arabs than in any other Arab country. And yet somehow, France still think they have a role in creating peace in the Middle East. Ireland dares to speak to Israel about human rights, attempting to pass laws making it a crime to do business with Jews in their ancient land. This is, this is a country that protected mass murderers and Nazi war criminals, and they think they can even begin to talk to Israel about human rights? Germany, who in all fairness is one of the better countries these days, still campaigned against other countries locating or moving their embassy in Jerusalem, and thereby recognizing an, an historic and basic truth of Jewish history in Israel. I seriously don't know on what moral basis Germany can even dare to question Jewish, Jewish people's historic right to their own city, a people they did everything in their power to eliminate while definitely positive signs of improvement fixated on Jews, even to go as far as Kuwait banning a movie because Gal Gadot, the Israeli actress, appeared in it. It's a movie. But all of this is not simply about Israel itself, but rather the manifestation and symbol of the Jewish world. For Jews have always been seen as responsible for all the bad things that happened in the world. Jewish lobbies in America, communist leadership, capitalist exploitation, Zionist aggression, deportation of illegal infiltrators. A famous Icelandic celebrity, Paul Oscar, once said that Jews have woven themselves into the fabric of Europe in a very sly way for a very long time. He further went on to compare Jews to Nazis, saying they have taken up the exact same policy 
of their worst enemy. Of course, the standard apology came afterwards, denying he was against Jews themselves, but his view was already revealed, and only the gullible would accept differently. In Australia, a strong Western democracy, there's also been an alarming increase in anti-Semitism from the previous year, up 35%. Meanwhile, over in America, another great democracy, anti-Semites sit in the US Congress, continuing to carry out their poisonous campaign of hatred against Israel and the Jewish people, funded by the American taxpayer. In a leaked report some time ago, the EU accused Israel of using tourism to legitimize settlements. Seriously? They are more concerned about the cable car from the city of David to the old city of Jerusalem than their own continent, which is falling apart due to terrorism and lawlessness, brought on by over a million Arab refugees, which no other Arab country would accept. Then there's Nabil Abu Rudena, the Palestinian Authority spokesman who said that all the conflicts in the Middle East are because of Israel. That's right, all conflicts are because of Israel. Syrian civil war, Israel. Yemen civil war, Israel. Dispute between the Cairo taxi driver and the camel accidentally hit? Israel. Jews have been the scapegoat of the world's problems throughout history, and it seems it hasn't changed. The world expects the Jewish people to be of such angelic proportions and held to a standard no one on earth could even ever possibly achieve. And when they aren't seen as attaining that, they'll savagely criticize. The only way they'll seen as being good is if they bring about their own destruction. But despite this increasing hatred, and despite the despair that I know many Jews around the world feel, I remain optimistic. And it's not because I think that hatred will die down anytime soon, but rather because I know that in Israel, the hopes of the Jewish people burn brightly. For there was a time when the same despair that gripped the Jewish world was everywhere. A time when we had no Israel, and we had no IDF, and we had no country that would accept us with open arms. Those times are gone, for we are a strong people a strong voice, a proud people with a proud history, a people whose very existence can never be destroyed. We must use our voices to speak up against those who wish us to remain silent, and we must use our voices against those who think they have a right to speak for us, because they don't. No one does, except us, and much to the great distress of so many, the days of our destiny lie in the hands of foreign governments and foreign organizations devoid of morals and ethics are truly over. This is Justin Hamler, L'Chaim to Life. Justin Hamler, outstanding work again. Isn't Justin spot on when he says Jews have been the scapegoat of the world's problems throughout history? And it seems that nothing's changed. Actually, it's a given that nothing has changed. Even after everything wonderful that the Jews have given the world, and Israel is firing on all pistons, creating and doing great things for the world and humanity. You can follow Justin on Facebook. Outstanding stuff, Justin. It's Good News Week. Have you heard the news? What did it say? And now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. ScoMo's No to Terror. Prayers for Ukraine. Shaket set for summit UIA. Changing of the AJN Guard. Farewell to Lenny's Lenny. Kapek eyes up Eurovision. In One Voice returns... Israel opening up to unvaccinated tourists. 
Bennett fears over resurrected Iran deal. Amnesty's Israel chief slams apartheid report. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show Square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Or go to the Jewish Life page on the Social Blueprint Jewish Resources website. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at L'Chaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Mori Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. We spoke with Eddie Tamir about the movie Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song, which will be playing at GIF, and what a universally beautiful, powerful song it is. Let's close out tonight's Lachaim with Hallelujah, sung in English. Hebrew and Arabic by a beautiful team. So thank you for tuning in and please join us again next week on L'Chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai and peace. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music do you? Well, it goes like this The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall And the major lift The baffled king composing Hallelujah 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 Hallelujah
Oh, man.